0: Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Christine and Shane, welcome back to the Undraped Artist Podcast.
1: Well, thank, thank you.
2: you.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you guys. So we just had an amazing weekend. Uh, was it two weekends ago, or was it just last weekend? <laughs> you should
3: have uh, Two me. weekends ago, Two yes.
0: weekends ago, May 11th yeah.
3: through the 14th.
0: Yeah, yes. we just, okay. It was an awesome weekend in Washington, DC for the Porchside Society of America Conference. And first of all, I wanna start by thanking you two and all the other people involved for making an incredible event. It was the highlight of my year. And I brought, I think like 12 students and they are, they were just like on cloud nine the whole time. And we're still talking about it here at the studio. We
2: we always think they can't get any better than the previous year. We'll have such a great year and we think, oh, we'll, we'll never top this. And then the next year, it seems like there's something about it that is better in some way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start with that. So uh, let's, Shane, why don't you give me some thoughts on what you thought went really well at the uh, conference this year?
2: Well, I think the thing that stood out more than anything was there was this incredible energy. There was this, uh, I mean, this sort of great optimism about the future, about what we were doing, about being together. I think that probably it's a result of the last few years we've been through and the struggles of um, staying isolated and, you know, artists that paint portraits and figures are a little bit different than other types of artists in that we really feed off of being with people. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: I think that, um, particularly, and certainly in my case, not being around my colleagues or uh, artists that I admire or artists that are, that I have uh, long wanted to meet or be with. I think it's just so exciting when you're in person together. And uh, so I love the energy this year. I think there was another thing that was really exciting and Chris probably can Add to this, we had a lot of young people this year. I think that was a change from years past. The organization is getting older, but the membership's getting younger, so that's an exciting combination.
0: Yeah, what do you attribute that to? I think
2: we're doing something right. I think we're also, um, I think we have something that artists are craving and young artists are struggling to find the kind of resources that that we're making available. My daughter is a good example. As you know, Jeff, she's 21 years old, decided to self-educate because she couldn't find the kind of um, information that she wanted to find out there in a structured, um, say, four-year institution or many other types of of schools that are teaching art. And so, as she said, I'm gonna pick my own faculty. And what the Portrait Society is able to do is be a part of that Um, education for her and for many other young people who can't find the things that they're looking for in in that uh, more traditional uh, environment. So um, I think that's one thing we're doing right. What do you think? What's some other things, Chris?
3: I agree. I think there was such an energy of um, connecting with other artists and a generosity, too. I felt like everybody was so generous with the information that they knew and willing to share it with other people. And that's the notes that we're receiving back that uh, we had a lot of first timers, and I think Mm -hmm. that contributed to uh, the excitement and the, uh, the thank you notes that we're getting back is that they were so impressed that people were willing to come and give up their time and Share information. That you know, one woman wrote me and said, "You know, I thought there were secrets that people were like, you know, hoarding uh, about uh, technique and methods and how you handle a client." But she said, "I came to the conference, and people freely gave that information." Um, I did have a thought about the young people that are attending. I do think that uh, they're very connected on social media, and so word of mouth. Um, We had a lot of young people come last year, and I think they spread the word you have to come to the Portrait Society Conference, and we saw that, first timers and young people. So I felt really good about uh, the whole event and just uh, uh, you could get on the elevator and uh, hear somebody talking about, did you just see that program we attended? And you've got to go tonight to this program. And just the, uh, just the energy was very, very, very positive and really contagious. Yeah, well, it know. is. And, and,
2: and when they have people like you, Jeff, and other professional artists that would take time away from their studios to come yeah. and freely share with them, it just absolutely, it, first off, it, it blows their mind. And secondly, as one lady w- wrote me yesterday, she said, I couldn't believe how approachable these artists were that have, you know, these incredible careers and they've come to spend a few days with us and share. And, uh, you know, so I, I think you know, you're a part of that formula. You and, and your friends that are willing to come and um be so generous with your time and, and sharing your knowledge it makes all the difference.
0: Well, I think we all enjoy it so much. It doesn't really feel like a sacrifice. Uh and like, and like you said, you you're uh you get to be around your colleagues, people who you relate to, people who you have a lot in common with. Um so, you know, it's funny because uh throughout the year I'm kind of antisocial. And then I get to the porch society. And it's like, well, these are my people. And all of a sudden, all I want to do is socialize and stay up till three in the morning, you know, and talk and talk, <laughs> and, talk and talk. It's just, it's it's a great environment that way. But I have, I have a theory also about the young people. And I could be wrong, it's just a theory, but I feel like it's, this year was the 25th anniversary, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. But um, I think uh, you guys, any organization like this is going to get the low-hanging fruit first. And the low-hanging fruit is the people who have the extra time, the extra funds, right? And and just the ability to travel on, on, a, on a whim, right? And that's gonna be the more established older people. But now, the but the word's gotten out that the quality of this thing is so good that young people are now starting to make sacrifices, you know, so, and uh, where they wouldn't have before, but they're, they're hearing about it, they're seeing how incredible it is and hearing about how incredible it is and they're making financial sacrifices. But that said, also, you guys are so generous in that you're providing a ton of scholarships for these young people. Maybe you could comment a little bit on that, like where those come from, how they're funded, how many you give out.
3: Sure. Um, You know, Jeff, one of the events that we do at the conference, it's really fun and uh, fast and entertaining. But it's a six by nine. And it's where uh, artists are invited, um, either faculty or award winners, and they create these small little gems of portraits. They're six by nine inches. And we auction them off during um, the six by nine mystery art sale. And you actually find out the artist after you purchase the the, the painting that you want, the painting or sculpture that you want. And those funds we use to, uh, to fund the scholarships. And so this year we funded 35 scholarships. Holy cow. And... Uh, we received 125 applications so it was very difficult to to uh, make those selections and we've heard from a number of them and what it meant to them and just they were just overwhelmed by the generous nature of all of the speakers and the and the fellow attendees that they would take their time away from their studios and away from commission work and come and and teach so yeah, thank that, what that's think- what we fund most of them
2: Chris and Jeff, think what a beautiful thing that is. So we send these artists, these six by nine panels, they produce a, a beautiful example of their work on, on, you know, as a gift to the society. They send it in, we put them up, then our fellow artists can purchase them for a reasonable price. And then all of that money turns right around and is given back to the artists so that they can in turn learn more. And it's it just, it's the most amazingly beautiful it thing. It is, I, just, I agree.
3: I love every part of it. I love that the artists take their time to create it. Then they donate it to the Portrait Society. And then people that are there at the event get to collect a work for a really reasonable price. Mm -hmm. And then um, that money funds other artists to learn. And so it's really it's it's a full circle event. Is it 250 or or
2: 275? I forget.
3: It's 250.
2: Yep. 250 dollars. You know, you get to pick up an original Jeff Hines or. Burt Silverman, Bert or Silverman donated this year, yeah.
3: and so uh, Max Ginsberg donated. So it's really it is it's fun. It's really fun if you get to win, you know, the opportunity to win one. But um, just even viewing the whole work as a as a uh, and as exhibit is really uh, a great time. Also,
0: you know, the thing about that that's really amazing is it's not just reasonable; it's a steal. Especially, I mean, there's <laughs> there there's a there's a huge range of artists. There and there are some that the six by nine they're they're earlier in their careers, they're everyone's great, don't get me wrong, but some are earlier in their careers, not as established. 250 is a great deal, but then there are others like Burton Silverman and Max Ginsburg, and a whole bunch of others that people are just swarming around because they know that if they had to buy that six by nine on the market, it would be thousands, if not more than thousands, tens of thousands for that little painting. And um, these artists. It'd be better for them to just donate 250 bucks to the society, but they offer these paintings instead, which are worth. One of the things much, that we learned more. this
2: year, Jeff, by the this this incredible crowd we had, you know, 750 plus artists, and as you, you were there, it was, you were, it was packed shoulder to shoulder. And we found out that we've got to get some bigger baskets because for those folks that oh, don't dear. know how it works, if there's more than one person that would twerk, like to buy yeah. the painting, they have to put their name tag in a bucket. And I saw many examples of moments where the bucket was overflowing with name tags and there was no real good way to sort of shake them up so yeah. the people were doing their best to hold the bucket and stick their hand down in to pull one of the names out. So we're going to... We we'll get a bigger basket for the for those yeah you need
0: really big harvest. buckets because they they don't yeah. even shake up it's like the last person who puts it on is the winner you
3: can't yeah. even shake. yeah the we're thing. working on that yeah
0: but you know and i've yet to win one so if you guys have any after we get off camera if you guys have any hints on how to you know kind of cheat the system i tried three let me know. times
2: i lost yeah. all three this year I,
3: yeah <laughs> i
0: didn't win any this year yeah yeah it's tough but anyway it's it's an awesome program and how many paintings did you get submitted
3: so we had 120 this year, so that's the largest, uh, participation that we've had.
0: Unbelievable. That's, that's a mm-hmm. big chunk of change and pretty much all of them sold or all of them sold.
3: I think all of them sold, um, except six. And so, you know, that's, that's really good.
0: That is,
2: incredible. And,
3: um, yeah, that'll provide
2: a lot of scholarships next year.
0: Yeah. That's um, incredible for attendees. That's incredible. So tell me a little bit, um about some of the events um maybe just uh and we can at this point let me know um chris when you want me to pull up some of these photos but you know maybe talk a little bit about these events because we've mentioned events but some people who haven't gone may not understand exactly what that means because there is some variation so maybe um chris you could start with talking a little bit about what those events look like
3: sure i think um that our opening program jeff really just gets everybody's juices flowing Um, it's called the face off and it's 18 artists that come together in groups of three, and they paint um, from 4.30 to 7.30. And they, uh, different mediums, there was drawing, pastel, oil, sculpture, and they create, uh, they get pretty far along into the uh, portrait during that time. And you can walk around that room and, and watch the progress of each uh, work being created, or you can sit down and watch a group of three artists from start to finish. And so it's, uh, it's like a big icebreaker, and um, I think it just kicks off the conference. Um, that's a, a picture you've got on the screen now of James Gurney, and he was painting in a group of three. Rick Caselli's behind him. Um, he did a sculpture and then Dominique Medici is beside him to the right, and um, she painted. And so uh, it's just um, a wonderful time. We're all in the grand ballroom. It's a 12,000-square-foot ballroom, and we're all in there together. Uh, This year, we had just right at 800 artists, uh, so it's one of our larger, larger events, and a wonderful way to kick off the evening program. And then we do back-to-back events because right when that ended at 7:30, we also had uh, a program called the Future Generations, and that was four young artists that um, painted two in each room um, from live models, and that was very well received. And so that I think that um, that one that you just showed before was uh, a drawing um, workshop. We did incorporate this year a lot of hands-on that was some feedback one Mm -hmm. thing that we do after the conference is we send out a survey and we read through those very carefully and each year we improve and add to the program depending on what the feedback is and some of that feedback was you know we get inspired and we get energized and we want to be able to put uh, you know start drawing ourselves and so we added a free drawing room on friday night and you could go in there and draw and then also we added quite a few hands-on program um don whitelaw did a hands-on program um and then there were i think four drawing workshops and um then we also added some pre-conference workshops and that's where you you all day with one artist so nine to four and we had three of those susan Lyons. we had the Scott sculpting Hurtick.
2: ahead too and Mary well and then Rick
3: Casali, uh, that was a new program this year, and they um, sculpted the planes of the head in clay, and they walked out of there. Uh, there was only thirty in there because of the, you know, the size of the room and what he could teach. But it's something we're definitely going to offer again. Every person that walked out of there just uh, came out energized and uh, so positive.
0: Was that a pre-conference event?
3: So the Rick Hasali was a breakout session. Oh, that was a breakout session, okay. we had were Mary White, Scott Burdick, and Susan Lyon. And those those were all very well received also. So we'll, we'll repeat that all, uh, again. Um, and it does give people, a lot of people, you know, it doesn't cost that much more to come in one day early, but to be able to have a workshop from 9 to 4, with someone um, and added on to the to the conference mm-hmm. uh, really worked out for people
0: yeah so can you explain the difference between the uh, the breakout sessions and the main stage demos
3: sure so um this actually came from a previous survey about 10 years ago people said they wanted the opportunity to gather in a bit of a little bit smaller group when you have 800 people in one room now, I think that uh, this year, one thing that made the quality of the program so good is the AV that we had. Mm-hmm. They added some uh, remote robotic cameras, and it gave the, uh, us the opportunity to show more on the stage of the model, the painting that they were creating or the drawing that they were doing, and then also um, audience and um Uh, an overview shot, and that, to me, helped the quality of the program. We do have large screens. they are 20 feet by um, 20 feet on either side of the stage so that you, wherever you're sitting, you have a really good view of uh, what's happening on that main stage. But people did ask us, would you provide us an opportunity to gather in a little bit smaller, crowd so that we could, you know, feel more comfortable either asking questions or offer an interactive session. Mm-hmm. And Dawn Whitelaw did that last year for our, our, our test. And she did a presentation where she uh, gave, you know, a 15-minute presentation, and then you did the exercise she introduced. And we repeated that across the board this year. Uh, she did um, uh, a class on backgrounds Um, Dominique Medici did a quick sketch with instructions and that all of those were very well received.
0: That's great. Shane, did you want to say anything about that? Uh, no, other than the fact
2: that this was probably the most hands-on, um, conference we've ever had. I really loved that. I think artists particularly, you remember Jeff in the years past, sitting in, lectures through the day, demonstrations, and what's the one thing that would happen through the evening? Artists would set up in these little areas all yeah. over the hotel trying to draw and paint because they couldn't wait to try to work on the things that they had heard that day and also it would just inspire them. So um, giving them a chance to actually do that as part of the conference, I think, makes a huge difference. And it gives them a chance to sort of get that off their chest. I mean, they just want to get to work for a little while and see what they can do after listening to, to some of the artists and hearing or seeing some of the artists' work. So um, I loved it, I think it was a really nice addition this year. um, Really, have to applaud the staff, which were literally working daylight to dark. Uh, They started very early in the morning, uh, you know, 6 a.m., you started to see the first uh, folks appear that are working on the all-volunteer staff from the artists that come in. Uh, We do have a few, you know, full-time employees, but this is mostly people that are just wanting to give of their time. And then, um, you know, they would be up until 12, one o'clock at night as we would conclude the evening so it was packed every minute and uh i, I absolutely loved it
0: yeah i mean it, it's it, i'm always a little disappointed um chris because you know i i don't get any time with you and kim and any of the other staff because you guys never stop moving
1: <laughs> it's like oh
0: hey nice to see you see you next year for five minutes <laughs> But I mean, I appreciate all the work you put into it, but yeah, you guys are moving at 90 miles an hour nonstop.
3: Well, it's really a labor of love. We, we love it. Um, and we're so encouraged by the positive response and how life change. People write us, you know, very heartfelt letters and they're sincere in that it changed their life. It changed the direction of their life, the direction of their work. And, you know, really, That's what it's all about is just to encourage excellence in portraiture and to share with your fellow artists. And and I do think that generosity is just some kind of contagious thing from from the faculty willing to step away from, you know, their commissioned work to the volunteers that come and staff the different areas. We have thirty five volunteers that come and work like that and. you know, it's just it's it creates a kind of connection that I think before the portrait society was missing. Yeah.
2: By the way, the cut the technology of those jumbotrons and the digital, te- you know, filming technology. I mean, that has in 25 years you just cannot, if you know, if you're if you're it's, my daughter's age like, really, you can't right, imagine Shane. how much it has. It, it, has it has improved, improved so
3: much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: this the picture. This year, is Jack,
3: awesome. We. we we had a hundred people on virtually this year too.
0: Oh, no kidding. Well, this, I, mm-hmm. I couldn't find a better picture. It doesn't really do it justice because of the perspective on this photo, but that's a 20 foot screen. And there's one on the other side of the stage as well. It's huge and it really doesn't do it justice. So that, that's the only way. I could like find. It's like they're
3: sitting right over their shoulder. It, it does. Mm-hmm. And the quality, it's a 20 K projector. And that quality really has made, uh, like Shane said, you know, when we first started, I think it was a 3K projector and we're up to 20K 20K now. 20K,
0: you're kidding
2: me.
3: Yeah, the quality is really tremendous.
2: And Jeff, 20 years ago, you're on stage trying to do a demonstration, the size of the cameras were so large that you were very constrained as the artist, you could barely move because they were trying to get them right over your shoulder so they could get right on top of the canvas. And then there was always this insane amount of light that was required for them to be able to project it up onto the screen. And so you would get this terrible glare as the artist, not as the person viewing it on the screens. And uh, one of my favorite and remar- most remarkable moments of my entire life of seeing a guy who said the show must go on was about 20 years ago. Ray Kinsler was doing a demonstration on stage. Here's this master artist. And all through the demo, he kept stepping back and looking at the jumbotron, and then he would go back to paint. And after this beautiful demonstration, I went up on stage to help him clean up his materials, his palette, et cetera. And when I stood in front of his canvas, I could not see anything. It was total glare. You could not oh, see geez. the painting almost at all. And I turned and I looked at him and I said, uh, I called him Everett. And I said, Everett, you, you can't see anything. And he said, oh, my God, I know. I had to look at the jumbotron to see what stroke I just put down. Didn't you see me looking at the screen? Oh my Every time gosh. I would put a stroke down, I would have to look up to see what I had just done. And I thought, <laughs> what a stud. guy, I mean, <laughs> you're talking about a star. The show must go on. I mean, he, he just pulled it off by looking at the screen every time he would make a stroke. So now when you get on stage, I was watching the artist working this year. The lighting was beautiful. Yeah. The cameras are it's so small. small. And the, not only is the artist able to see what they're doing and have a good time doing it, but not only can you sit there and watch them make the stroke in person, but if you want a closer look, you look up at those giant screens, and you can see you know, every hair on the brush as it goes down to make the stroke. So it's a phenomenal interaction and experience in this, in this one hall with several hundred artists. You feel intimate uh, at the same time, you know, you know, that you're very much a part of something that's happening in the very moment.
0: hmm hmm Well, can, can we talk about some of those events? Who were some of the artists? Obviously we know, I mean, you already mentioned that I was there, but who are some of the other artists and some of the events that took place?
3: You know, Jeff, that's one thing um, I, I wanted to talk about was we tried something new this year, and so Adrian Stein and Anthony Ryder uh, demonstrated on Friday morning, and you were the moderator for them. And we haven't we haven't done that before, and it was very well received. And then all the surveys, they asked us to do that again. Oh, and really? No kidding. I think kidding. it helped the artist as well as the audience. How was that experience for you? Because Anthony Ryder uh, drew and Adrian Stein did uh worked in oils and um then you were on stage with them. Right. Yeah, this
0: is a picture of that right here. Um mm-hmm. I thought it was great. I'd be happy to help any in, in doing that again anytime. I thought it was fun.
3: I mean, I was like a and kid in can the candy store to getting to up there and teach at the same time. So I mm-hmm. think that gave them an opportunity to be able to paint while you were talking and get a little farther. And then, you know, take a break and then talk. And so uh, we got. Well, they didn't we have to break.
2: constantly think about what they needed to say because you were prompting them. And then that sort of flowed naturally as a conversation. I thought it was a fantastic uh, Oh,
0: good. I'm glad. London. I wondered if it worked out. I mean, I, I felt great. like it was a great experience, but I wondered what your guys is uh, or what you heard from the audience. So I'm glad to hear that it went well.
3: Very, very positive. Now, we did open the conference with a um, presentation by Bert Silverman. He's, uh, you know, widely known as, as one of uh, the best portrait and real estate artists in America. And he's 95 years old. He's still taking portrait commissions. And uh, he did join us um, by um, a video, but uh, it was a great, inspiring way to open the conference. And then that Friday afternoon, we broke into the to the smaller classes and that was a, a good collection of drawing. Um, James Gurney gave a presentation and um, of course Don White Law. And then also on that, um, uh, oh, this, is, this was really uh, highly rated in the surveys. Um, I read through a lot of them last night. And um, this was a panel presentation with, uh, Mary White, James Gurney, and Shane and Wendy Caperell, uh green moderated it. And um, it was called Moving Targets. And so there was a, a short presentation by each person and then a question and answer. And so I think people enjoyed the interaction and then also, you know, the tidbits of advice vi- from each person. So that, was, that one was very well received, too.
2: Hmm. I probably told a couple of stories I shouldn't have told, but that's all right.
0: <laughs> what stories are all oh, you mean at that thing? Name,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't name any names. I left out. Names.
0: I can't imagine you did anything any less appropriate than I generally do in my presentation So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll agree with you with that. I think we're okay. <laughs> I think I'm all right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I might uh, be the first guy who ever had to take a bathroom break during the middle of his
1: presentation. <laughs> 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 i love that that was a great moment.
0: oh man but i think i had Hard the audience
2: just put this on hold real yeah quick, you know?
0: <laughs> i think the audience believed me that i was t- getting a kitten out of a tree though i'm pretty sure they believe me <laughs> so what so tell me about this one here what was this presentation sure. so
3: so lewis uh, carr did a presentation on composing a portrait um he was very well re- uh prepared and had a lot of uh presented a lot of information in a short amount of time. It was very well received. Also, um, you painted with uh, Rose Franson uh, this year, and the model was Judy Carducci, who's been a member for a very long time. She's 91 years old. She traveled from Ohio, and we mic'd her also. And, oh, here's a picture of it now. Mm -hmm. And uh, both portraits, I thought, turned out fantastic. And it was just really wonderful to hear her um share about her life and i think she even recited a poem while while. oh, oh my goodness did. there's
2: been all of these people were in these tears. Written. yeah there's we've had a bunch of emails of people saying that they were absolutely brought to tears watching you all paint and her reciting a rudyard was it rudyard kipling i think
1: I, uh, somebody I she was <laughs> she
2: was reciting someone yeah uh, a poem from memory, and it just uh yeah, evidently touched. I, I was doing something else and missed that part. I hate I missed that part.
0: Oh, man. Well, don't you record all this stuff, though? And so that brings up another point. I mean, I want to talk a little more about this, but that brings up another point. Can people see this after the fact?
3: They can. So we have recorded it all. And um, so it is available um, and we'll be posting next week on our website, how they can sign up and then okay. um, be able to view all of, we recorded all of them, except the breakout sessions. Everything that was on the main stage is recorded.
0: Okay. So Judy, what was so inspiring with her and my students, cause I have, I brought several students who are fifties, forties, and even close to 60. And um, they constantly, not constantly, occasionally they'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm getting old. Can I do this? i am I going to have enough time? Blah, blah. And uh, they, the poem related to her, she talked about how she started just before she turned 60 and then had a wonderful, fulfilling 30 year career or almost 30 year career mm-hmm. up and still painting to this day. And then recite this poem that, that just brought, I, I was just a very hopeful, inspiring poem to anyone, but, also, but especially to, um, at least as um, reported by my personal students, to the older students who are like, yeah, I can do this. It doesn't matter that I'm 55 years old or 60 years old, I still have time, I can do this. So it was really inspiring yeah i love that
2: well it's like when ray Kensler built his dream studio in the country when he was 80 years old and he worked there almost 13 years i mean it's wow. pretty think how, how wonderful and wow. bold it is to be 80 and say i think i'm going to build a new studio um oh that's and,
0: inspiring you know, yeah that's yeah. inspiring. So,
2: G- judy is very much like that we've got a lot of i mean bert silverman same way 95 still working in his studio every day still taking commissions and uh working at the highest level it's um remarkable that, as Kenzer said to me one time the older you get the more you will understand how fantastic and wonderful it is to wake up each day being so stimulated by what you do and artists are that way i mean we're so driven to get up each day and to try it again and uh in this pursuit of growth and excellence it's what this organization is all a part of and every person that was there just wanted to grow. They just wanted to learn something new. They just wanted to get to that next step, and uh, you know the 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 amount of responses we're getting back that people say that they had moments that were life changing is incredible. And, and I had a lady come up to me last year and just in tears, and I didn't know what she was really upset about at first, but she wasn't upset. She was actually excited, and she said mm. that that. He had just been in a class and had heard some things that had changed her forever. She said, I totally understand some things that I had been trying to understand for so long. And it just was a light bulb moment for me. And uh, it was very, very touching to see that.
0: That's awesome. So I have to thank you, Chris, because I actually recommended, um, and I'm sure you remember, but um, Rose and I, we did a thing which you invited us to do in uh, Oklahoma what was that Oklahoma, like five years ago or something? I can't even uh-huh. remember. And, it um, was. and we, and I already knew Rose, but we just loved working together so much that we actually requested that we get to paint together. So it was really kind of you to do it. And she is just, I remember that idea riot. came from there.
3: Um, cause you all stayed up both nights, Friday and Saturday night, just talking until uh-huh. like one or two in the morning. And I, I think you may have even stayed an extra day. And, um, But, you know, you could tell that that synergy of your relationship, I think, came through in the demo too.
0: Oh yeah, I adore Rose, she's incredible. And it's such a talented painter, such a talented painter. So are we missing anything as far as the events?
2: Well, that's the thing that I'm so um, impressed with. And that is that we really, I don't think we do miss anything. I mean, we, we cover every aspect we can think of to cover all, you know, craft and technique from drawing all the way through to color and composition and, uh, re- re- I mean, there's been there's been times when you think about Dawn's class, it was simply covering backgrounds. Uh, we have lectures and, and uh, presentations on careers, on trying to build your career, how to market your work, how to sell your work to a- agencies and galleries, how to manage your studio, how to manage your time, uh, how to work as an artist. Full time or part time, and manage your family. We 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 cover those kind of things. I mean, I really think you know, Christine has been our executive director for 25 years, but she was married to an artist for over 35 years. Chris, yeah,
3: 37 years. Yeah, yeah.
2: 37 years. And so there's really you can't imagine there's anyone with better training uh, from from the time that she was uh, married to Ed uh, as a very very young bride. <laughs> um, to learn, you know, to really learn the ropes of what it's like to live with an artist and then what is the, what were the questions that he had and what were the challenges that he faced and his friends and colleagues. And so she, she really saw that from the very beginning as did every artist that was a part of it. And, um, you know, since all of us are digging out our livings each day and each week and each year uh, as artists or aspiring to do that, the questions that you have, um, we really believe that we we help answer some of those. And if nothing else, we pose even more questions so that you can go back and try to problem solve. But um, I think that's the thing that is the strength of the organization is that we really look at every facet of, of being an artist and uh, all of the challenges that come with it, all the joys that come with it, and then we get to, to share with each other and learn. And I, I've never taught a single class that I don't feel like when I leave there that I've learned more than I've been able to share from my own students. And then that prepares me even more for my own work in the studio or for the next class or workshop that I'm teaching. And I think everyone leaves the Portrait Society each year feeling the same way. And uh, so I I really applaud Chris and the staff and all of the artists that work so hard to uh, try to not only answer the questions that people have, but even pose more questions so that we can go back and uh, ponder those as well.
3: Yeah, we had twenty-eight um, faculty artists this year, and they they worked hard to prepare before they came, and then while they were there, they they all really did give up themselves.
0: Yeah, I yeah. You know, one thing, incredible. Jeff,
3: I'd like to talk about is the banquet. It's really is the highlight okay. of, of yeah, the whole conference. That. It's so inspiring, and mm-hmm. um, you know the artists that are selected as finalists. We had over three thousand and seventy-five entries this year, mm-hmm. and so. You know, it was very competitive, and then those artists they come and bring their original artwork on site to be judged, and so they really invest time and expense to travel to the conference and bring their their um, selected work. And it really is a museum quality show, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. And when you go in there, um, you know, you just can spend, you know. Any amount of time, just, you know, looking at the work, you know, understanding maybe what the message that the artist was conveying in that painting and just being inspired. And we have so many artists that have written this and said, you know, I've entered 10 times, but it doesn't disappoint me. It challenges me that next year I'm going to create, you know, I'm going to improve my work and I'm going to enter again. And so So let's talk just a little
2: bit, Chris, about an example of that our winner, Paul Newton, who is a phenomenal artist and painter from Australia, who not only has entered many times, he has several times, I'm saying this because he would tell you the same thing. He's been He's not been a part of the room several times. He, his piece did not get in. He has been in the room several times and has not won the top award, but he was undaunted by that. He didn't he didn't stop entering. He kept on plugging away. And this year, he was the grand prize winner of the, not only the Draper grand prize, but the highest cash award we've ever um, given, $50,000 first place. And I just Amazing. love, yeah, I just absolutely love that he, you know, sort of didn't get frustrated by not winning the prize. He the wasn't discouraged prize. or deterred He at wasn't all. discouraged. He was actually motivated to try even harder and even harder, and uh, he entered this, fantastic self-portrait that he had done during lockdown that had a sort of a very riveting emotional impact to the viewer, as as well as, that you know, technically it was so incredibly beautifully done. And uh, so anyway, I just think that he's a perfect example of someone, you know, someone might say, oh, well, of course, uh, Paul Newton won. Look how fantastic an artist he is. Well, Paul Newton has entered a lot of paintings that were quite fine, but that, that year's competition was maybe... Uh, at a, at some at some level, that the judges didn't respond to his piece that year, but then the next year they would. And you know, I think the fact that he got in the room several times but still didn't win, but yet he kept coming back, says everything about him as a person that he's driven to keep trying. And uh, and he, uh, well, he he rose to the occasion.
0: Yeah. So maybe you know that brings up a question for me. Can you talk a little bit about how the judging process works because. I, I'll i make a comment before you, before you answer that, and that is that I think part of the reason—I I can't speak for him, but I think part of the reason many of us don't get discouraged is because we understand that it's one part quality and excellence and one part taste, right? So it's like you've you've got to get your work to a certain level, but you also have to understand that it just takes entering and entering and entering until— you end up the stars align and the judges happen to like your work because when I go into that room, I see a daunting task. Like, how in the world can you possibly pick a best one? And because they're all yeah, at yeah. such high quality, and yes. so, so I mean, I mean maybe you could comment too, Jeff, on how that's know, done.
2: Well, you know, if you think about it too, if you're an artist, artist entering. You also don't know what other pieces are being entered that year, and right. you know. So, what what group of painting, sculpture, drawings you have to work from that determines quite a bit. Uh, one of my favorite Ray Kinsler stories: sitting right here on this mantle to my right, used to, I'm in Ray Kinsler's old studio, um, and on the mantle was a gold medal from the American Watercolor Society, and next to it was a rejection slip from the American Watercolor <laughs> yeah, Society. Yeah, I've heard this
0: story. It's it's inspiring. Yes.
2: And so he had entered one year, uh, a watercolor, and it was rejected. And um, not even a finalist, not even a finalist, finalist. didn't even get into the show. The next year, show comes around and he says, gee, I didn't I didn't take the time to do anything new. I don't have anything. I'm just going to enter the same piece I entered last year that was rejected. And that piece won the gold medal that year. And so sitting here on his mantle, he used to have those two things. The same painting had won a gold medal one year. It was rejected the year before. Well, what changed? Well, I mean, your judges change, the pieces the judges are looking at and saying, well, is this piece stronger than this piece? That changes. Uh, so, But, you know, we, we do, we work very hard to change up the judges. We have a very distinct criteria that our chairman, our former chairman, Ed Jonas, helped to craft, which is, isn't that available on our website, Chris?
3: It is. And it is very specific. Um, about um, technique and, you know, mastery and the medium that you've submitted. And then in addition to that, so once if they've met all those uh, criteria, the anatomy, um, you know, uh, mastery in their medium, then beyond that is aesthetic. And then have they been able to communicate? And so... There is a, a very strict criteria that we all refer to before uh, the judging starts. But then we also have a two-step process. And I think it's um, really worked well through the years. I've been in every judging um, that's gone on, and I can speak to the serious nature that the judges take, um, the responsibility. And um, But one thing, Jeff, people may not know is that, the initial judging is all anonymous. The, the entries are assigned a number and nobody knows, none of the judges know who uh, painted that painting. So when, you know, when we pass them through, you, you pass through 1705, you know, 1708, you're not passing through Paul Newton. And so, and it is a panel also. And so it's a panel of four judges and any, the, uh, I think we went through about eight rounds, Shane, this year. A few more than what we've done in the past because we had so much good work. And so the first round, any judge can pass through a painting. So we can get one yes. And then we go on steps from there. So second round, two yeses. And then to get in the room, you have to have all three yeses so all judges have to agree to to move something forward and even then i think we had change you think we had about 50 that that were unanimous yeses and yeah you
2: get from, down to a point where it's very difficult to figure out how yeah. are you going to get 20 out of this you know incredible group mm-hmm. of paintings and sculpture
1: hmm.
3: and just then to, to be clear process he- after that uh, Jeff, it's it's an interest, very interesting critique process after that when you get to the 50 for the 20 that actually come in the room. Is there anything in, in the composition that, you know, would put one over the other? Is there anything in the application of the paint or the way uh, the clay was handled? And so it is an individual critique after that, and it takes a lot of hours.
0: Yeah. So just to be clear, when you refer to in the room, you you're referring to in the display hall and being one of the top 20 finalists yes is it 20 or 25 it's 20 20 right okay man yeah that sounds awful because you (laughs) as you guys an awful is probably not a fair word but you guys have uh invited me which i'm honored to do and happy to do always but to judge smaller shows like members oh, only competition. So the members
3: only competition. Yeah. I think you've judged a couple of those categories for us.
0: And it's nowhere near that many. And it is really hard to do.
3: It's weighty. I, I agree with you. It's very, very difficult.
0: Yeah. I don't know how you guys do it. It must be really difficult. <laughs> yeah. Well so it's
2: a lot a lot of t- a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of um discussion. But then once they are final, once, once that 20 are selected and they go to wh- wherever we have the conference and they're in the room, and then we have our, our final four judges that work together, that first, the first thing they do when they're walking around to assess is they actually, they have a, a, a guide sheet, they have a point system for how many points they might give one painting over another, Chris uh, helped develop that with her husband, Ed, and what we do is we let each of those judges individually look at all of the room first and then say, well, this is what painting I would give this number of points. And I give this painting, this number of points. And then we compare the four judges results and see if they're beginning to have anything that aligns. If they're starting to say, you know, Oh, look, all four have said, this is an exceptional piece of art. So let's talk about that. And, and, uh, and then we start to move from there, but it, it's uh there's been, there's been a, few years where there was a stalemate we had a, a judge that just said hey i just cannot you know see eye to eye with the other judges on not this and that. then you have yeah. to yeah they have to sit down and, and hash it out and discuss it and um, someone has to you know, if they're an advocate for a particular piece they've got to really express why that is or if they're not and um, we've we've never ended up with um, not con- we've always had complete uh, consensus on the finalists in the end but it doesn't come easy every year and sometimes A judge really has to uh, spend a lot of time thinking about making the final decision to go with maybe the other judges, but those judges are each expressing to that one judge or maybe two why it is that they feel this is an an exceptional painting. So um, it could not be more seriously taken by each judge. I mean, they consider it to be a great um, honor to be one of the judges, but they also know the effects that it has on each person that has spent so many hours working at their craft and then submitting their paintings or sculptures or drawings to this competition.
0: You know, one thing that many of us have noticed, um, and I don't know how intentional it is, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but the portrait society seems to be evolving as f- with the contest. The contest seems to be becoming more like the figurative painting society. You know, and you know, Paul Newton, um, obviously this is a very traditional portrait and many of the submissions are what you would expect a portrait to look like. But then occasionally, you know, like a few years ago, you get Daniel Keys who won one that was more like an interior with a couple figures in it. And that field felt like a very uh, revolutionary moment in, uh, in, in, in uh, the Portrait Society. And then this year, Sean Lay submitted one where the head had to be like the size of a thumbnail. You know, very insignificant. So I wanted to get... And um, this isn't a critique, by the way, this is just an observation, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Is this like an intentional evolution or is it just something that's sort of happening organically? How do you see this evolving and where do you see it going in the future?
2: Well, I think there has been some evolution in that from day one, when the organization was formed, even though it was um, artists that considered themselves professional portrait painters, They also considered themselves artists first. And that ties back to something Sargent insisted on his own students think about, and that was to not be, quote, a portrait painter, but to be an artist that could apply their skills or techniques to any subject matter. Mm -hmm. And I I can remember, Christine, you can remember too, very early on, um, even though it spoke to a lot of people to say Portrait Society, (laughs) Ray Kinster was one of the dissenters in the naming of the organization because he. Really, even though he was a portrait painter himself, he was also a figurative painter, he was a landscape painter, he was a still life painter, uh, an interior painter. And so he believed that that was um, uh, very important and very valuable. So even though we left that sort of moniker of Portrait Society there as our subtitle, we have long uh, called ourselves a portraitive portrait and figurative. (laughs) I created a new word there, portraitive Uh, (laughs) portrait and figurative uh, organization, you know, that supported those things, but as you noted too, and, and it has been evolution, you have seen people like Daniel Keyes win with a piece that had uh, two figures in a really a very large still life painting is uh, one way of looking at it with all of the flowers that were there, but the, the, the figures were very important part of that composition, but we've included in our faculty over the years artists that were painting figurative works maybe some portraits but they might have been known mostly for their landscape work or for their still life work and so my question to any artist that says to me uh, well you know how is that how is that valuable in what you're doing with the portrait society and i say have you ever painted are you ever seen any significant group of portraits that didn't include landscape uh interior still life you name it it's a part of being a, a portrait painter that you Apply your skills to those different subject matters that can be a part of your portrait or your mm-hmm, figurative piece. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I there was an artist once that said to me, "Oh, you know, I, I'm not a landscape painter. I'm not a. I, I'm just a portrait painter." A very, very accomplished artist. And I, I, I said, "No, that's you're absolutely not. You are a landscape painter. You're a still life painter because I've seen your work. You include those things as part of your compositions all the time." So maybe he didn't think of himself as a pure landscape painter, but he was a landscape painter. And mm-hmm. so um, that's one of the reasons that I have also been a champion of increasing the number of artists that are a part of the organization and a part of our lectures and demonstrations that are not simply portrait painters. They are, they are artists that paint portraits, and it has enlarged and has grown um, the repertoire, and it has increased uh, an artist's skill level and awareness of how important all of those things are at creating good solid portrait figurative pieces. Now we also had, as you notice, the sort of a uh, we've had some fantasy style pieces, some allegorical pieces where the figures are quite small. And even though they are small, uh, you know the, the incredible skill level at these
1: mm-hmm. paintings, mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and the, the I you know I would argue that the figurative work, figurative piece, maybe the the figure itself was fairly small in the in the overall composition, but certainly. That did not mean it didn't carry incredible weight,
1: mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. did,
2: and um, so, yeah, I, it has, in my opinion, Chris, you might, have, you can add to this, or, or you can disagree with me, but I think it has been a conscious effort over the evolution of our organization. I
3: think it's been very intentional yeah. over the evolution, yeah. yeah. And oh, I it think was it's a good very move. consistently encouraged by Ray Kensler, and, um, you know, keeping our eye you know, on that, I think, has really broadened our whole base, you know, because when we started out, we had 400 members, and now we have 4,000. And so I think we are about connecting and inspiring and educating, and that includes the whole figure.
2: Mm-hmm. So what did, what did, Jeff, what did Ray Kensler tell his students when he taught for, you know, 50 years? What did he tell his students who said to him, I, I really want to become a better portrait painter? first thing he would say is, have you ever painted plain air? Mm. I want you to get outdoors and paint plain air because I want you to learn to move quickly and capture the essential effect of what it is that you've got to capture before the light changes and before the mood changes. Well, you know, there's no better training than when you have a model sitting in your studio or on the model stand. The, the moments are fleeting. Do so you mm-hmm. have to get that essential character? Or, you've, you know, if you don't hone those skills, So one of the best training grounds he felt like for a portrait figure painter was to go out and paint pure landscape with Mm -hmm. the fleeting and changing effects of light.
3: I think that's why in the members only competition, we've expanded those categories to include still life, landscape, um, outside the box, and um, just to encourage that.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great move and um, because, I mean, I mentioned Sean Lay's painting. It was extraordinary, and I'm really glad it was chosen as one of the finalists. Um, It
3: looked wonderful in the room, too. We loved having that mm -hmm. that different point of view in there. I just thought it looked fantastic.
0: Yeah, it really did. Um, But also, again, to go full circle, I wonder, it just occurred to me, I wonder if this evolution is also part of what's drawing the younger crowd
2: oh i would agree with you because mm-hmm. they are very i mean again i'm i'm so fortunate to have this very talented daughter is 21 years old and my daughter maddie and maddie is so into the concept of being a whole artist of, mm-hmm. of, of an artist that wants to paint people but she also wants to paint all the other things that 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 interest her that come to mind that she wants to do and and so uh i mean i, I certainly. I think I influenced her in that thinking, but it also comes naturally. But I think that younger artists see that as well as we've ever seen it, and they are, they are, they have so much information at their fingertips uh, compared to what
3: oh, we I did
2: know. in terms of the online stuff. And then I think what we are able to do is provide that that in person experience at our conference that they want um, to, to have that interaction, so they can marry that with that absolute encyclopedia of information that is on their phones that they can find any time. I mean, I watch Maddie, you know, sometimes she travels the world on her phone. She goes into major museums and she can pull up these high res images of the paintings from any museum, you name it. And Kinsler used to say to me when I was young artist. so I'm in my 20s and we would be sitting here in the studio talking and looking at books and he would say, do you have any idea or can you truly fully appreciate the fact that you're holding a book with fantastic color reproductions when I was your age, books were in black and white.
1: You know, what I mean? so, you know.
0: man, that's crazy. Jeff,
3: Jeff, I have to brag on Maddie just a little bit. Um, in addition to being a dedicated and talented artist, she was the one that created the 25th anniversary video that was shown at the banquet. Mm-hmm. And it is just a treasure look back at the Portrait Society. And I don't know how she did it, but she somehow portrayed the heart of the portrait society oh, exceptional. and we're going to post it on our website, but we're just really grateful that she, she's multi-talented. So yeah. very, very thankful yeah. for that. She's a special as, girl. As,
2: well, so many of the, your students, so many of the young artists are, it's, um it's incredible. They are truly, each generation is truly standing on the shoulders of the generation before. And we're seeing a incredibly talented group of young people right now, probably, May, I, well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure in, in many ways, the most talented that have ever existed worldwide. and they yeah, are feeding off of each other. I mean, they are learning yeah. from each other quickly. It's almost like you're dealing with these uh, it's, it's like from my perspective of doing this 35 years, the level of the young person right now is probably at the level of someone that was 25 years into their career, just just a generation or two ago. And they're starting out that way. I mean, they have been uh-huh. uh, so had had access to so much so early. And uh, you know, the other thing that I admire about all of them is you you do get a you know, despite all of this stuff people are talking about the you know this generation is this that and the other negative. What I see from this generation is an incredible desire to want to work and to work hard and to uh, and have to and they understand they have to dig at it. And I know that there's all the suggestion that they're not patient and. I, I don't see that with the students that I have. It's just the opposite. They realize they're having to put in the time, and it's going to gonna take time to grow and develop. But, the, you know, many of them are going as to, as I said recently, many of them are going to be overnight successes in the next 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they, will, they, they will put the time in. I know
3: they will. So yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Another question I have about the contest. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about what the rules are of the contest, um, for those who are planning on doing in the future, because lots of things are changing and I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about talking about this today, but I do kind of, if some reason occurred to me and I'd love to get your opinion off the cuff on this, but like now, um, we've got AI coming in. It used to be, um, I I mean, all this technology is starting to get involved in art making. And I wonder if you guys have thought about how that is going to, um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going to happen lot. with AI and how are you going to, are you going to allow that in the contest? Are there going to be rules on how much technology is available or used in paintings or is it just mm-hmm. wide open or are there going to be categories? Maybe, have you thought much about this?
2: I've been thinking about the artificial intelligence thing a bunch because, um, so for an example, I am sitting here and I'm thinking about a painting I would like to do. And it's in my imagination totally right now. So in the past, what would I do? I would either sit down and begin to doodle and come up with little thumbnail sketches and then I'm gonna go out and try to see if I can find my resources, wherever that be, whether it be on the street or if I bring a model in the studio and I start to compose these things. Or I now sit down with my computer and I say to it, uh, you know, whatever my artificial intelligence uh, apps called, uh, I say, Jeannie, I, I have this vision of painting a man sitting at a, a, a bar in Spain and he's got a green hat on, and there's and suddenly it creates several ide- vision several visuals from my ideas. Mm-hmm. And then I start tweaking them. So my question to myself is, do I have a problem with that as let's say a resource? for then the artist to use, just like I would pin photographs up around me. But I'm now pinning up one that the computer actually came up with, but it was from my prompts, you know. And um, we haven't even discussed it formally as a board or an organization, but my feelings are right now that that's okay, that that's cool. You know, mm-hmm. to say I'm going to embrace this as just one more tool is fine. What I don't think is fine is if um, you tell the, paint, the, the uh, genie that you're going to I'd like you to paint this for me, you know, digitally. I want you to create this, and, you know, there, here's my idea, now you do it. I don't, I don't think we're going to be accepting submissions uh, as, you know, there was a person that had the idea, but there was a machine that created the work. You know, I, you know there's this whole thing now, you know, Jeff, that we're, you know, they, they, there's this thing with contemporary art school. You have the artists, which are the people that come up with the concept, and you have the makers, which are people like us, Who can then implement it? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm not really for our for our organization. I'm speaking for myself, uh, but I would be encouraging Christine and our board to not go there. That we do not want to go to a place where someone walks in the room and they said, "Hi, my name is Jeff Hines, and I came up with this great idea, but here's Maddie Re Neal who actually painted it for me, but it's my it's my work." Or here's my you know artificial intelligence. I want the artist's hand to be in the work. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But what about, so this is another thing. So we get entries sometimes where it is a, a digitally produced image, let's say on a canvas, and someone has, for lack of a better way, let's say someone has touched it up, you know, they've enhanced it. Well, there's some, there's even some cultures that don't necessarily see that as, as problematic. You know, they say, yeah. you know, hey, now this is just another tool. And so you get into these really kind of challenging um, discussions. About you know what is acceptable or not. So I think there's a some some point at which we just as our as our organization have to say, well, this is what we have deemed th- that we are looking for for us as as the you know portrait society. We're looking for this. Um, and right now, Jeff,
3: yeah, right now those those guidelines do include that it has to be the artist's own idea and concept, and it has to be executed by that artist. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, a computer generated. Or are created in the classroom where the instructor has has set up the model and the composition, and you're painting it. Those are not allowed right now. Um, but we we do um, we do talk about this, and I think as a board, we're going to have to you know put that in our perspectives. We're going to have to come up with um, a policy and include that in our perspectives.
1: So
2: Jeff, when you go back in time, so there was an artist who used to work in this building, and John Johansson, who was an amazing artist. And he was taught uh, to paint and draw in the 19th century, but he, his his career spanned into the 20th century. And I went into a courtroom in Philadelphia once, and there were paintings hanging salon style all around the room, and you could just see the stars. You know, you always know when there's a fabulous painting. And I saw this incredible painting. I walked across the room to look at it, and I saw this painting. It was by John Johansson. I thought, well, of course it's by Mr. Johansson. He was an amazing artist. And then I looked down t- Below his signature, and he had written below his signature the words from photographs on the on the painting wow. from 1930. Hmm. And so I realized that he had straddled this time of artists trying to come up and wrestle with this idea. Do I use photographs? Do I not? Can I tell people I'm using them as part of the resource for my painting? Do I do I not? You know, you've got someone like Akins, who's the really one of the first to just boldly say that this is part of my process i'm using these photographs to paint from and then others like mr johansson who's saying I- i've got to tell people i use photographs as part of this so you know these debates are always ongoing with artists about embracing new technologies new uh, ways of producing their work and i think that we are trying to grow with the times but also think there are certain things that we still deem to be not enough of the artist's actual hands and their own hands involved mm-hmm. in the production of the work or or their own minds. I mean, that's, that's the other thing. It's a little tricky as we talk about this artificial intelligence thing. It's really wild. It's a new world. It's, it's the Wild West right now.
1: Hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad I asked. That's very interesting. It sounds like it's, you kind of know how you feel about it, but the door is not closed yet. Like We're just kind of wait and see a little bit.
2: I had an author here a couple of weeks ago, and he said he sat down with his wife, and he's a well-known author, he's written a number of very important books, and he sat down to his wife and he said, I won't say his name, but he said uh, to the um, AI thing, write a original essay in his voice. And 10 seconds later or less,
0: the computer
2: produced an original essay, and he and his wife read it aloud, and then looked at each other and said... I wrote it. I didn't write it, but I wrote it. It sounds exactly like anything that I would write. And it scared him. He said, I mean, it's kind of frightening to think that I can tell the computer to write something in my voice. Well, I'm sure that we're gonna be very soon, if not already there, where you can say, produce a Jeff Hines original painting, and it would digitally on the screen appear, you might could print it out on a piece of canvas, and it might not be anything you've ever actually painted, but it'd be so much in your hand that I would swear it's a Jeff Hines. There's something, though, I don't. I didn't ask this author, I didn't ask this question because I was so amazed by the story, but I have looked at a number of these things that are in the style of Rembrandt and the style of You Name the Artist, and I'm telling you right away, you know that skill level is there, but there's something missing. Mm-hmm. There's, some, uh, there's some bit of heart. Some
3: soul thing missing, yeah.
2: Soul is missing. It's cold. You feel it right away. I don't think you would have to be... Any person of any unique sensitivities to know there's something missing, and um, so I don't know uh, if there'll be a point where Hal, you know, actually begins to feel some feel something, and it's it's it sort of mimics emotions. But right now, I don't think the emotion is there. But as human beings, we have sensitivities that we can't even enunciate. We don't even know how to describe them to you, but we know it intuitively. We can feel whether there's a there's a there's a spirit of interest, love, appreciation, anger, you know, whatever it is that might have produced that work of art, we sense it before we can ever express it verbally. And uh, I think that right now we're at a place as an organization that we still want, as was done with Paul Newton's fabulous self-portrait, there was a sense of a human being coming through that you felt. And then he had everything craft-wise, technically, to support it. He had everything, every skill to support that and to and to uh, communicate it to us as the viewer and so we're looking for that combination of incredible skill level technically and the ability to tell that story to tell us something about the the person the figure the environment um that um, nobody else no no artificial
3: intelligence can do it not yet i do that yeah yeah it's a feeling
0: yeah well i hope that because you know in the spirit of inclusivity which you talked a little bit about before where you said we, we don't want to
2: upset any, any computers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. But you talked about, you know, it's, I don't think you're doing in the name of inclusivity, but you're earlier, we talked about how you, you want the show to be about the whole painter, the painter who, because you feel like a, a portrait painter is more than a portrait painter. A, a person who paints portraits should be able to paint anything. Um, and, but on the other hand, if you're entering a cake contest cookies are not cake right that's right, yeah I, get and that. I, yeah, I yeah, so i, get I wonder that. if uh so i i you know it's it's nice to know that the porch society is um in my personal feeling is focused on the cake right and not not yeah the cookie, you know? yes
2: and we're not going to hide at all or try to um we're not going to move away from what we consider to be there's a certain level of traditionalism involved in what we do. I mean, uh, some people call it realism. I actually sort of shy away from that, but I, I will say there are traditional time-honored techniques and principles to sculpting, painting, drawing that we do champion and we do appreciate. Um, I don't think you're going to ever see a finalist in our organization, uh, or our competition that maybe is a you know, a, a severed arm hanging from a string above, you know, <laughs> a, a campfire, I mean, it's just not going to happen in our, but there, there's places for that, and there's organizations that will support that kind of work, that's just not what we are interested in promoting, and, and also, in, in many ways, um, kind of keeping alive and making sure that it is fostered and encouraged, because there are so many solid uh, truths of working as artists that will benefit you whether you decide to stay in that particular, let's say, you know, that sort of traditional style or not. If you have that as part of your background, as as part of the brick lane of your education, it will enhance whatever approach you decide to take with your work. So right now, um, uh, in this day and time, when there are so many people pushing the envelope in so many parts of our lives, Um, we feel like we're comfortable with whatever level of the envelope we've pushed, but we're also never going to lose sight of who we are as as an organization. We're going to continue to uh, boldly be, uh, who we are going forward.
0: You know, um, I want to change the subject a little bit. So one of the things that we had a lot of people come from out of the country this year, we already mentioned Sean Lay. Um, and then there were, there were several other, uh, um, Man, my name is Paul Newton, right? He was also from Australia. We had several from from England. The, um, yes. Yeah, and, you know, a bunch of them, I've talked to all of them, and a bunch of them said something to me, which I'm well aware of, and that is that there's um, an unusual level of goodness and kindness at the Portrait Society Conference. And these are people that have been to other conferences, I know this sort of sounds corny and stuff, but I think it's worth talking about. I'm curious as to why that is. I mean, you guys have been here from the beginning. What What is it about this conference and is it something that just happened organically or something that you guys have nurtured?
3: You know, uh, Jeff, I am convinced that it is a giving nature because of how we first started the Portrait Society. So. I don't know if your viewers know this, but all of, we have an advisory board as well as an executive board. And it is not, they are not paid positions. They they give up their time. And in the beginning, it was hours and hours of time. Of course, when you're forming something, you know, from nothing, that it, there's a lot of investment of time to get it right. And um, so the board serves um, Shane writes for the magazine and for the journal, um, and Wendy serves as our secretary treasurer, uh, Mary White, uh, Don Whitelaw. They all, um, when we have issues, we get on a phone call together and they all give up their time. It's not a paid position. All of the faculty pay for their own travel and they don't get a stipend or honorarium from us. Um, the volunteers, there's 35 of 35 to 37 that come they don't get paid and i think um when you're giving yourself to something that's bigger than you i think it creates a spirit that is one of generosity and it almost makes you want to then also be part of that and give of yourself too and that's that's my reasoning of it i'm not quite sure uh you know I don't know what Shane thinks, but I just feel it's like we're all have the same rope and we're pulling all in the same direction. And when you get new people, they're like, oh, they just are all giving up their time. I've got to get in on this and give, you know, what I know and share what I know. And I think because we're a nonprofit that we've created this synergy of connection, but also of generosity of spirit. And I, I think you can feel it. And it was particularly
2: present this year. I mean, it just it is absolutely proven over and over and over again throughout the ends of of time that if someone is um, has a kind nature or a generous nature, it tends to spread. It's just someone Mm -hmm. who maybe is not even maybe doesn't even think of themselves as being that type of person. But when they're confronted with that attitude it makes a difference. And they begin to think, well, wait a minute, maybe I don't mind sharing a little of this or that as well. And I think that we go back to some of our some of our founding fathers. Uh, Gordon Wetmore, who uh, I hope his name will live on forever in uh, the world of portrait and figure painting, was a very kind and gentle man who loved to share. He loved to quote that That famous Kennedy line about a rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, Ed was the same way. Christine's husband, Ed, was um, just of such a sense of community, of wanting to lift up as many people as he could, with sharing information and knowledge, and was also the very first person that would want to pick up the phone or send an email to a member or um, a, a member of his team or his board that maybe was having a tough time or he'd heard some news about the loss and he would be one of the first emails you'd receive or letters you'd receive. I mean, that generosity of spirit, uh, Tom Donahue, one of our founding, uh, first founding uh, members of the board as well. I mean, just this incredible kindness and generous spirit has spread. It's attracted more people with similar kinds of ideas about, um, uh, about that attitude. And as I said, I think it's affected even those that didn't even realize that. Um, that they could be as as generous as they have now found themselves being because they've just kind of caught the spirit. So it's been there from the beginning. And also, there's that other thing too. It was uh, that we've talked a lot about. It was actually never about the artists that were that formed this organization or have found themselves on stage or in the limelight. Um, they have they have some of them have reluctantly accepted those positions because that's not the kind of they would. They would think. Wait a minute. I, I'm. not trying to seek any attention. I just want to teach. I just want to share. But when when they find out that they actually are a motivating force by their you know their sheer presence and people hearing their voice and seeing their face it helps to motivate and encourage and they're willing to do it. But there's the, the 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 egos have always been so in check, and I have particularly been proud of being a part of an organization that has made sure that um, th- that everyone. Is is uh, is highly um, respected, and has everyone has a high regard for each other, and uh, each and every member of the organization, you know, really truly is uh, appreciated, um, and I, at, at every level of the organization. And uh, I mean, again, when I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, who I'd painted a while back, he said, you know, there's very few organizations that you go to in a variety of fields where people would just say, hey. You want to know how I do this so well? Just ask me. I'll tell you everything I know. You know, they just, they they don't think of it as competition at all. They say, they think of it as like, oh, I want to tell you why I'm able to do this better. It was because this, this, and this artist told me, or after years, I finally figured it out. And here's what I, here's what I've learned. So that's very different with artists.
0: (laughs) Not to mention they paid several thousand dollars to be there to give you that for free.
2: That's right. That's right. (laughs) And you know, that that just catches. It just it just spreads
0: <laughs> that that generosity just spreads. Yeah. I, so, Chris, did you know that going into it was this? And maybe that's not a fair question because sometimes you don't even know why you do things. But I mean, when you decided to make this, you and Ed decided to make this a nonprofit. Did you know going into it that it would be a draw for other generous people and created such a positive, uplifting environment?
3: Well, we knew that education was the sole purpose, mm-hmm. And so I think that helped in some regard. But we were all very committed um, to to it. In fact, I, you know, Jeff, the first year that I left, um, I, I I worked for the uh, Florida trial lawyers. And the first year that um, I worked for the Portrait Society, I didn't accept a salary because we didn't really have any money. Right. <laughs> um each board person put in two hundred dollars each, and that and that was our bank account. And um, we took it out an ad in American Artist Magazine for membership and for our first conference. And I worked the first year for no pay. Mm. So I've always believed in the organization. I don't think that, um, um, you know, that Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. I still that book. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we had the vision of what it is today. I'm really, really proud of it. But I think we did know that there's information that has been handed down from artist to artist over the years. And the frustration of not being able to get that information, I think, spurred it. And having it be a nonprofit and education-oriented group did grow it. So um, Mm -hmm. I don't think we, we could have imagined what it is today, but the commitment was always there for it to be an organization that connected people and a bridge between uh, professional artist and emerging artist and a conduit to share information.
0: That's great. So what's next year? Are we back in Atlanta? And and is it still the $50,000? We
3: and um, we're already planning next year. We're going to um, include some, uh, more hands-on um, classes and opportunities because we did get that back in um in our uh, return surveys. And then we'll add faculty, uh, you know, new faculty and some returning faculty, but uh, we'll plan that over the summer. I've got some ideas already. And uh, I know that Shane's got some ideas and we spend about two months um, just gathering uh, offers from artists. You know, I'm interested in teaching this topic. And then we look at our time and it's like a big puzzle and we move it around and, and build the best program we can.
0: That's great. So the second half of that question, is the prize next year going to be $50,000 again?
2: Well, so um, Chris had just texted me recently to ask me that very question. And I said, let me think about it, because I was so, <laughs> I was so worried about not being able to raise that money last year. Uh, I actually, I, I kind of went out on a limb early on. And I said, Chris, if for some reason we don't raise the money, I will come up with the money somehow." And I didn't yeah, know how, did. but I thought I'll come up with it somehow. And uh, <laughs> I was a little nervous uh, for a few months, worried that maybe I would have to figure out a way to get out and pedal and sell a few more paintings. Yeah, they came in running. the last
3: two days.
2: <laughs> no yeah, kidding. The last of days, it, yeah, we had so many people come in, but it really, it worked out beautifully. And again, as you know, the again, the, I mean, what's so fantastic about and beautiful about the organization is that, you know all the artists that are entering or who are supporting the prize money. I mean, they are they are sharing uh, a, a a gift of fifty dollars or so to submit uh-huh. these, these paintings, and and then that money goes into what becomes, that the, prize becomes the
3: prize money. Prize money. Funds
2: yeah. the prize money, which is not an unusual way for these things to work. But it's yeah. just that it, what I love about it again is it's other artists working hard to share with other artists. I mean, they are really a part of the lifting up of, of each of these people who have been highlighted. Uh, but we had, uh, it was uh, it was fully funded uh, by uh, all of the artists worldwide who wanted to submit pieces and, and take a shot at it themselves. And then they turned around and honored the very best work that was there with, with their gift, which became the prize money. So um, w- we'll see. We're, I wanna talk about it with Chris and the board and uh, we'll see if we can. But we definitely were looking for a way to celebrate our 25th in a very big way, and uh, we were already giving 25,000, which of course worked nicely, 25 and 25. But uh, we all we all thought we just wanted to do something even bigger for this milestone.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll all be on pins and needles, wondering if uh, it's going to be 50,000 again.
2: <laughs> well, and you know, Paul said uh, Paul Newton said to me that uh, 50,000 turns into more like 75,000 Australian dollars, and he said, uh, "Oh wow." He was getting- Yeah. He was getting a little bump. He said he was very excited.
0: (laughs) That is exciting. That's really nice for him. Dang. That's great. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that I haven't asked you about that you'd like to uh, bring up before we end the conversation?
2: Well, the one thing I'd like to say is first off, thank you for having us. And secondly, thank you for what you're doing because these podcasts uh, are just reaching so many people. And I had a, number of people I've been interviewed, as Chris has as well, with you in the past. And I had so many people that came up to me and told me that they had listened to the podcast that you and I had done together oh, great. Uh, some months ago. And uh, so thank you for what you're doing to, again, add and spread knowledge and information. It's certainly in the spirit of what we do at the Port Society. And we're grateful to have you on the faculty and grateful to be a part of your podcast.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. And Chris, and you know
2: now I've got to go. I've got to go save a kitten. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, we better end this quick. Chris, did you want to say something quickly so we can do that?
3: <laughs> no, just thank you. Also, I think it's great, Jeff, and I've watched a lot of your pa- podcast and glad to be part of it.
0: All right, thank you, and thank you for everything you guys do. It's uh, and thanks for involving me in it too. It's always been such an honor and great to be part of it. So um, we'll, we'll see you love next year.
3: You.
0: Take okay. care, guys.
3: Thanks so much. See you then. Bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.